Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by Justin Smith, the producer-director of the very enlightening documentary, Statin Nation. Justin is going to be discussing why statins, which are a cholesterol medication, are the most overprescribed medication in the Western world and how they can cause more harm in the body than good. He'll be explaining what cholesterol is and busting some cholesterol myths, including why high cholesterol isn't the root cause of heart disease. Justin will also be offering his tips and advice on how to manage cholesterol naturally through diet and lifestyle. Justin Smith is an independent documentary filmmaker. He's the producer-director of Statin Nation 1 and 2, Body Electric and Brain Electric. He's also the author of Statin Nation, the book. Prior to being a documentary filmmaker, Justin was a personal trainer and sports massage therapist. He's had a number of articles published in major publications, including a leading feature article in the Sunday Telegraph about cholesterol and statins. Justin is currently working on a documentary series about stress. Hi, Justin. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hi there. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. Yeah, me too. Now, your Statin Nation documentaries reveal why statins are so overly prescribed by doctors and the deceit which has existed for decades, resulting in a billion-dollar global industry. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say on the topic. But before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how Statin Nation came to fruition? Sure. It started, I think it was about 12 years ago now, when I was still working as personal trainer, sports massage therapist, and uh, nutrition coach as well. Mm-hmm. And I read a, a book called The Cholesterol Myths by um, Dr. Uf Ravenskoff, a Swedish doctor. And um, it completely sort of blew my mind. It just made so much sense uh, the way he presented his arguments. The argument being that, that cholesterol is not something that we need to be too concerned about when it comes to heart disease. And I just couldn't believe that this, this, these myths were so prevalent within the, the, the medical, medical world, the medical establishment. Of course, I started to tell my clients about this, and they were very interested. But, um, you know, we would have a 45-minute consultation, and then they would be all on board with it. Okay, yeah, I don't need to worry about my cholesterol level. I will do these things instead. I will focus on these more important things which get to the root cause of any problems I have. But mm-hmm. then next week they would come along. And, of course, they've been exposed to all the messages again, you know, all the propaganda <laughs> that we need to worry about cholesterol. Everyone needs to be on statin medications and all the rest of it. So initially I self-published my own book, about it, which was called 29 Billion Reasons to Lie About Cholesterol. That was published in 2009. And the 29 billion refers to the the value of the cholesterol-lowering market at the time. Of course, we don't know exactly, but the $29 billion each year was a conservative estimate at the time. So then I still felt some frustration because I was able to get the information to some people But of course, there's still so many people who were being misinformed. So I had the idea of making a documentary film about it. So yeah, so I ended up making the first documentary film and then that was well received and was able to do some crowdfunding with my contacts and make the second Statin Nation movie afterwards. That's fantastic. So I imagine when you were making Statin Nation, you did come across a lot of controversy, especially from the medical world. How did you deal with that? I I did, but um, 
You know, it would have been nice if some people from, who have the opposite point of view would have agreed to give an interview. But I, I contacted several of the major drugs companies who either didn't respond or, or just uh, in, said that they declined the invitation. And uh, uh, several non-profit organizations as well who are also promoting the idea that we all need to worry about cholesterol levels. So it would have been nice to have had more of their side of the argument, but that just deepened my frustration with the whole topic, really. The fact that, you know, the medical establishment were not willing to answer the important questions. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Just kind of, uh, yeah, dance around it, I guess. But well, it's a good job you did create these documentaries because I think, you know, you've uh, opened a lot of people's eyes to the subject, you know, showing people that there is another way. So before we get onto statins, can you please just give us a bit of an overview of heart disease and explain what cholesterol is and how it works in the body? Sure. So I think most of us have an idea that heart disease is a basic plumbing issue. We we have the idea that saturated fats and cholesterol somehow get stuck to the inside wall of the artery, and then that builds up and eventually there's a blockage. But mm -hmm. the actual process is very different from that. So I think there are two main mechanisms to consider. The first one is inflammation. So in fact, it's not the case that things get stuck to the inside wall of the artery. What happens is there's some kind of damage to the inside wall of the artery, and then a process of inflammation starts. So, so what we actually have is a thickening of the wall of the artery rather than things getting stuck to the inside wall of the artery. And of course, when we look at arteries that have this process then we do find cholesterol and saturated fat there. But they're actually there as part of the healing process, the mm -hmm. part of the body's way of dealing with the problem. So there are a lot of things that can cause that initial damage to the inside wall of the artery. And it's, it's really got nothing to do with the amount of cholesterol or saturated fat that's floating through the bloodstream. It's connected with nutritional imbalances, toxins that may be in the body, environmental pollution, stress. Stress is probably the most important factor. Stress can affect mm -hmm. heart disease in so many different ways. So it's really all these nutrition and lifestyle factors that lead to the initial damage that that can occur to the inside wall of the artery. But there's actually also a, another interesting mechanism that is hardly ever talked about these days. It's a mechanism that was identified by an Italian. He was a cardiovascular pathologist. So he spent decades looking at the arteries of, of people who died of heart disease. And he made some interesting observations in that um, the, the blockage within the artery didn't correspond to the actual uh, location within the heart that had died. You know, the ultimate, right. yeah, when mm. someone has a heart attack, of course, what actually happens is the, the, the tissue, the heart tissue, that localized area of the heart, the tissue dies. Mm -hmm. So when he looked at the, these people who died of heart disease, there was no correlation between the, the exact location that had the, the damage to the heart and, and the blockage in the artery. And some, and some people had tissue damage to the heart, but they didn't have any blockages. So, right. so he developed the theory, which is known as the myogenic theory, which just means that the, the disease process starts from within the heart muscle itself, and as opposed to within the artery. And, and this, again, is all related to stress. So if we think about when we take physical exercise, 
if we're just sort of walking, you know, obviously we can walk for a long time without getting tired. And that's because we're using the aerobic system that's burning mostly fat as a fuel source. But of course, when we start to run faster or sprint, our body switches to the glucose system, energy system, because we can get energy much more quickly from the glucose system. And as most of us know, the byproduct of that, the side effect of that is a buildup of lactic acid uh, within the muscle. And then we get the muscle pain and we have to slow down or stop. Well, a very similar process can actually happen with the heart when we're under stress. So when we're under stress, the nervous system is activated through the flight or fight system. And it actually changes the uh, energy production system within the heart. So the heart, perhaps surprisingly for many people, the heart actually prefers to burn fat as a source of energy. But under stress, of course, the body then switches to the glucose system because it knows that that's a quicker way of getting energy. And that's okay for a very short period of time. But if, if that continues, then you can actually get an acid buildup within the heart muscle itself in quite a similar way that we experience when we're, we're doing sport or, or running. Mm-hmm. And over time, because in today's modern world, our stressors are often not short-lived. It doesn't no. involve just running away from a dangerous situation. It involves, you know, trying to deal with that situation in very often it can take years for us to work out solutions to some of the major stresses that we have. And so the heart is just deteriorating. In a way, the, the heart becomes too acidic, the actual heart muscle itself. And that eventually can also lead to damage to the heart itself. And then, and then the disease process can start from the heart itself rather than from one of the arteries. So there's a lot of nuances to the way that heart disease actually happens. And it's really nowhere near as simple as a simple uh, plumbing issue, as as Mm -hmm. we're led to believe. Yes, or just blame cholesterol because it's easier to just do that maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it was, um, for the most part, it was a, perhaps an, an honest mistake, mm-hmm. even though, even though uh, way back when cholesterol was first talked about as a major cause of heart disease, there were uh, many doctors who objected to the theory because there was already published studies to show that people actually live longer with higher cholesterol levels. And so at that time, a lot of doctors objected, but somehow the theory was kind of pushed through. And, and then, of course, these medications came along, the, the statins, that are very effective at lowering cholesterol levels. And, um, yeah, things, unfortunately, just spiraled out of control. Yeah. Yeah, no, these, and that's what normally happens as well. So, but, yeah, I don't think we, can, we can't underestimate stress, can we? Because it does cause havoc with our bodies on so many levels. And as you said, you know, we are constantly stressed at the moment and it isn't short-lived. And I think a, a lot of people are living with chronic stress, aren't they? I, I think so, yes, yeah. And there's all kinds of uh, mechanisms whereby that stress can increase the risk for heart disease. And one of the other ways is... Um, when we're stressed, the, the, the blood is more likely to stick together and uh, form blood clots, which ultimately uh, can block an artery. So there are, there are many mechanisms whereby stress can affect our risk for a heart disease and a heart attack. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you talked about some sort of the other factors that 
are involved in sort of heart disease, like being the, the environmental toxins and nu- nutritional imbalances. Can you just talk us through some of those, what some of those toxins might be? Well, toxins could, could literally be, be anything. I guess the, the, the one that we have most data for is the environmental pollution. We've known mm-hmm. for a long time that environmental pollution can be a risk factor for heart disease. But, but of course, I mean, it's really difficult to identify a specific toxin that has led to an individual person having heart disease. It's, you know, it, it's a complex picture of a, a number of factors that combine for each individual person. I mean, even two people can experience a lot of stress, but only one person develops the heart disease as a result of that. For, for the other person, yes. they could develop the heart disease because of a nutritional imbalance or, or, or environmental pollution or, or other complex reasons. No, absolutely. It's always multifactorial, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So can you just talk us through cholesterol and just explain what it is and how it works in the body, the difference between that, the HDL and the LDLs for those people that might not be aware? Sure. So cholesterol is actually one of the most important nutrients for our body, and it's really crazy that it's been given such a bad name and a lot of bad press. Cholesterol, it's really important for the structural integrity of all of our body cells. Now, our bodies are made up of something like 50 trillion cells, and the the outer layer or the, the, the membrane of those cells require both saturated fat and cholesterol for the structural integrity for them to function correctly. Cholesterol is used as the raw material for all of the steroidal hormones within the body and also for making vitamin D and for bile acids for digestion. And cholesterol also is really important for the immune system. So, uh, of course, that, that we can see that um, it's a vitally important nutrient. So then mm-hmm. if we look at HDLs and LDLs, so high-density lipoproteins and low-density lipoproteins. They're, they're called good and bad cholesterol, of course. But the whole idea of good and bad cholesterol is utterly ridiculous because the LDLs and HDLs, are not, they're not actually cholesterol. They're lipoproteins, which are a bundle of all kinds of substances that go through the bloodstream. So cholesterol itself can't can't move through the bloodstream by itself. So it has to be transported in these lipoproteins. But there's actually a lot of other important substances that are transported in the lipoproteins as well. So for example, there's coenzyme Q10, vitamin A, vitamin E, and other nutrients. So when we are uh, altering the levels of HDLs and LDLs, we're not just altering the availability of cholesterol but we're actually altering the availability of all those important nutrients as well. So it's really amazing that uh, so many people have subscribed to this idea of good and bad cholesterol when, uh, you know, these these lipoproteins are simply the transport mechanism that the body needs for, for moving cholesterol and other essential nutrients from one place to another. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? So, so what other myths are there around cholesterol and the link between cholesterol and heart disease? Are there any others? Yeah, the main one being that cholesterol is not the bad guy. Cholesterol is the good guy and, and absolutely vitally important for so many of the body's functions. The other great one, of course, that we briefly mentioned a few minutes ago was that 
people with higher cholesterol tend to live longer. I mean, that's in itself, I find really incredible. And these studies that have been done on this have involved more than a million people. And so, in fact, this correlation has been known about for more than 40 years. And even the, the medical establishment who promote the idea of lowering, lowering cholesterol, they also, they've also seen some of these studies that show people with higher cholesterol tend to live longer. And what they've suggested is that what happens when people are very unwell, you know, maybe unfortunately they will only live for a few more weeks or a few more months, then the body is unable to make cholesterol at that point. And that's why the cholesterol level drops, you know, before they pass mm. away. Okay. So that was kind of, you know, believed by the medical establishment. But then we had studies published that have looked at um, lower cholesterol levels over a 20-year period. So, so now you're not just looking at those people who are unfortunately extremely unwell that they may not live much longer. You're looking at you know much larger population of people, and it also correlates that those people who have lower cholesterol levels maintained over a 20 year period uh, tend to have a low, uh, shorter life expectancy. We have never actually seen a good correlation between a statistical correlation between higher cholesterol level and an increased risk of heart disease. So the largest study that's been done, or one of the largest studies, is the Framingham Heart Study. And what that actually showed was that uh, they plotted the normal distribution of cholesterol levels for people with heart disease and for people without heart disease. And they actually found that it was almost the same. It was almost identical, which means that the cholesterol level is not a risk factor. So then, of course, people would say, well, we've moved on from just total cholesterol level. We're now looking at this uh, so-called good and bad cholesterol levels. So then if you look at the statistical data for the LDLs, the so-called bad cholesterol, what we find in the large studies that have been done is that people who have heart disease actually have a lower LDL level than people who don't. So again, the LDL level doesn't correlate with the risk for heart disease. And there are all kinds of other interesting things, like when we look at athletes, those athletes who have a higher LDL level, a higher level of the so-called bad cholesterol, they are able to grow more muscle as a response to their training. So yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of contradictions wow. with the, to the prevailing wisdom about cholesterol. Yes, lots and lots. So no, thank you for running through some of those because I think that'll be very eye-opening for a lot of people who won't be aware of that. So yes. Now let's move on to statins, which are the cholesterol-lowering medication. Can you explain exactly what they are and how they work? So cholesterol is made in the body cells um, through a complicated step-by-step process, a complex sequence of biochemical reactions. And what statins do is they, um, they block an enzyme that's used early on in that step-by-step process. So therefore blocking the cells, the body cells ability to make cholesterol. And they're actually very effective at doing that. So they, they do lower cholesterol levels very effectively. But since we now know that People live longer with higher cholesterol levels, and we know about all the important functions that cholesterol plays within the body. Then 
I and a lot of other people, an increasing number of people, we see that cholesterol-lowering effect as actually a side effect of the statin. Even though it's talked about as the main effect, you know, the effect that we want, it's actually a side effect of the medication. Yeah. So so another side effect of the medication is that it blocks the production of coenzyme Q10 because it's acting at early on in that biochemical step-by-step process because it's acting early on in that that branch, um, then it means that it's also blocking the production of a a large number of other biochemicals. And coenzyme Q10 is one of those. So coenzyme Q10 is important for producing energy within all of our body cells. And the heart muscle uh, uses more coenzyme Q10 than any other part of the body. So that's why you know we have to think really carefully about giving statins to people who have heart failure. And anyone mm-hmm. who does take a statin medication should be taking coenzyme Q10 supplements to try and compensate as much as possible from that uh, loss due to the statins. So uh, so the um so any medication of course has a wide range of effects. Mm-hmm. And where, where statins are concerned, as I say, the cholesterol lowering in my mind is actual is actually a side effect. But one of the potential uh, positive effects of the statin is that it's quite effective at, at reducing inflammation. Earlier on, we said that one of the main mechanisms associated with heart disease is inflammation. So if we do see benefits associated with the statin, it's primarily associated with its ability to reduce inflammation. And there's quite a lot of strong evidence to suggest that the statin can stabilize the the plaque inside the artery as well. So so we don't get a a thrombus forming. We don't get a blood clot that ultimately Mm -hmm. blocks the artery. So those are the potential uh, positive effects of a statin. So then, of course, we then ask ourselves, well, who can potentially benefit from statin medication? Myself and a large number of other people believe that, first of all, uh, you should not give a statin medication to anyone who doesn't have a diagnosed heart problem. And that would be something like 75% or more of the people who take a statin medication because they've, you know, they've, they've been pushed out. They were initially given to people who had a diagnosed heart problem. And then they were, in order to increase the market size for the medication and to get more profit, they were gradually pushed out to more and more people. And, oh, um, wow. and uh, you know, personally, I think it's quite crazy, this, this relatively new era of actually pushing medications onto people as a preventative measure. In, in my mind, medication should be used for someone who has an actual medical problem. You know, mm-hmm. things, you know, before we get to that clinical diagnosis, We should be in the world of uh, nutrition, lifestyle, stress management, you know, all these things. And only once we sort of cross that, sorry, cross that threshold of actually having a diagnosed medical problem, should we be in the realm of considering taking any any medications? That that that's what makes sense to me personally. So, so in terms of statins. Only those people who have a diagnosed heart problem should be candidates. And then within that population, there are all kinds of considerations, uh, such as uh, 
You know, the, the elderly are particularly susceptible to problems associated with low cholesterol levels. They're, they have a massively increased risk for cancer and infections when they have lower cholesterol levels. So if someone is um, 75 or above, you know, you should think really carefully before uh, taking a, a statin medication because of the cholesterol-lowering effect, which will be a very negative effect. And uh, the data suggests that the only people who can really benefit from statins are middle-aged men who have already had a heart attack because those are the people who, you know, they've proven that for whatever reason, their, their arteries are having this inflammatory process or their heart is, uh, the, the tissue of the heart muscle itself is is becoming damaged. So uh, those are the people who might benefit from the anti-inflammatory effects or the plaque stabilizing effect of the statin medication. But but everyone else is really just exposing themselves to potential serious side effects. No, absolutely. Because where you said that sort of obviously people with a diagnosis of heart disease will be prescribed those, but they've sort of put it out to a wider kind of part of the population as a sort of preventative. What what kind of people might be prescribed these that haven't had a, a diagnosis of a heart disease? What kind of ailments might they be going to the doctors for and then they'd be prescribed statins? Well, there's been a, a push to to get everyone who's above 40 to go into their see their GP for a, sort of a health MOT. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they, they put them through, you know, they, they take the basic measurements of blood pressure, body weight, uh, BMI, uh, smoking, uh, family history of heart disease and these things. And uh, they put these parameters into a, a magic number cruncher and come out with a percentage for their supposed risk for having a heart attack in the next okay. five or the next 10 years. And of course, this whole thing is completely bogus. You know the the idea yeah. that you can the idea that you can take something which is so complex as heart disease and and just put in you know four or five parameters and and magically get this percentage with any degree of certainty is just nonsense in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But but yeah. that but that's the basis of getting more and more people onto the medication, and so these things are set in the guidelines, and the guidelines are set by these a panel of experts and and each time the guidelines have been set there's been controversy because most of the people on the panel have strong connections with the drugs companies strong mm-hmm. connections with the companies that make the statin medications so you know yes. there's, there's very a clear, skewed. clear obvious conflict of interests absolutely and, and and i think also there's um you know part of the background to it is also the way that medicine itself seems to have changed. A few decades ago, it, it still seemed to be the case that people would describe things like the the art the art of being a doctor. And um, and in general, of course, you know our societies have gone much more for sci- looking for scientific evidence. And of course, in general, that's a good thing. But the problem is that the data can so easily be manipulated. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, you know, a lot of the data is not published because the, the drugs companies own all of the data. So whenever they get data which isn't favorable to the medication, they don't have to publish it. You know, we, we just never see it. We never hear about it. No. And then, and then they often don't publish the data associated with the side effects. 
So it's it's all well and good, you know, calling for things to be much more scientific. But I think we haven't fully considered that, you know, the, the data can so easily be manipulated. The science is so easily ma- manipulated. And linked in with that is I think doctors are much more constrained than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctors used to have this uh, much more flexibility for creativity mm-hmm. and their their own experience. You know, they they would work with their patients over over years, they would get to know their patients and they would have they would be the best person who would have the informed to make informed decisions about their patient's health. But but now a lot of that is taken out of their hands by these very strict guidelines whereby if someone goes in to see them and they have a certain blood pressure, you know, these three or four parameters, then the the doctor has little choice but to suggest that they take a statin. Um what I would say from a more positive point of view is that um when I first when I made the first statin nation movie, at that time I would get a lot of emails, messages from people telling me horror stories that um, you know, they've their doctor is basically bullying them to take the statin. And the doctor wow. is saying yeah, the doctor is saying things like, um, if you don't take this if you don't take the statin, then I'm not going to help you with the other medical issues as well. And they literally oh felt <laughs> they, they literally felt I mean, the doctor probably felt they were doing the right thing because, you know, they firmly believed, you know, that the statin was going to help the patient. But but yeah. th- again, the data has been already distorted before it gets to the doctor. So and the doctor probably hasn't been exposed to all of the other data that has a contrary viewpoint. And um yeah, I was getting so many emails from people describing you know they they didn't they don't know what to do because they need the doctor's help for their other medical issues but they don't want to take the statin medication thankfully those emails have become very rare now and um i'm hearing a lot more stories where people you know the doctor suggests oh maybe you know you should take a statin and then the patient has said uh, no i've heard a lot about the side effects and um you know i i don't want to take a statin and and it seems uh, my sense now is that doctors are not being as forceful as they were before. You know, they're offering the statin to the patient. And if the patient says, no, I, I don't personally, I don't want to take it. They're not being as uh, pushy with it as they were before, which is a, obviously a big step in the right direction. Yes, that's a, definitely a good thing because that's, yeah, that would be really awful for people because especially when they've got nowhere else to turn to and it's like your doctor's telling you something, but if you feel that that's not good for your body, but you you need their help, it's like, what do you do? You know, it's very yes, confronting. Yeah. yeah. And as we all know, there's there's just not enough information given about the nutritional alternatives. So No. Uh, you know, and obviously – um well, all of this, all of this, you know, we cannot go all the way back to 1910 with the Flexner report. Uh, Abraham Flexner in the United States was commissioned by the Rockefellers and the Carnegies to do a report on the, all of the medical education schools in North America. And um, he wasn't a doctor, he was an educationist. And uh, he published a report to say that only pharmaceuticals have any scientific basis. So it was from that point onwards that nutritional medicine, and any kind of other therapies were deemed to be unscientific and they were taken out of medical education. And and basically, we're all still mm. suffering because of that right now. And as a consequence of that, doctors spend like uh, half a day 
through, through all of their training, they spend half a day on nutrition. And in that half a day, they will probably be given uh, brochures from flora margarine or, or, you know, someone producing some toxic substances, which also blocks the production of cholesterol within the body. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a great, it's a great uh, misservice to patients. No, absolutely. And as you say, you know, they just don't have the time or the training to be able to do that. So I think, you know, so people are sort of got the medication or nothing, you know, unless they're going to to seek the help of a nutritional therapist or a naturopath or or some other practitioner. But you're going to offer some tips and advice in a little while in terms of how you can manage cholesterol and di- with diet and lifestyle. So before we hop onto that, I just wanted to touch on some of the other side effects. So I know you talked about sort of obviously de- depleting certain minerals like CoQ10 and vitamin A and vitamin E. What are some of the other side effects of statins, the negative ones? So there's a wide range. And um, the best data suggests that um, around 20% of people can experience significant side effects due to statins. Of course, you know, there's, there's been a lot of uh, heated debate about the extent of them, but uh, I believe it's within that sort of ballpark, 20% of people. And the side effects really relate to the parts of the body that require more cholesterol. So the the brain uses about 25% of the body's cholesterol, even though it's only about 2% of the body's weight. So uh, the brain in particular is susceptible to uh, the lowering of cholesterol because then it becomes cholesterol deficient. So that's why a lot of the side effects are related to brain function Mm -hmm. and particularly memory. Um, and also the, the nervous system, the whole nervous system requires a lot of cholesterol. So that's why we see a lot of problems, a uh, significant amount of problems with, related to the nervous system. The eyes also require a lot of cholesterol, so we, can, we see a lot of problems with the eyes. Um, so, yeah, so it's, and muscles, of course, probably muscle pain is probably the most common side effect. And the muscle pain is probably mostly related to that um, the action of blocking the production of CoQ10 that we talked about earlier, because mm-hmm. because the the mitochondria in the in the muscles in the cells that, that produce the energy that we need for physical activity, well, the energy we need for everything basically, but for physical activity as well. So then we can get a lot of muscle pain because the 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 cells are not able to produce enough energy. Um, so yeah, yep. so. So the, the side effects are all related to the areas of the body that normally require uh, a lot of cholesterol. Okay, no, that's great. So things like memory loss, maybe you've got low mood, anxiety, those sorts of symptoms with the nervous system. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, okay. No, thanks for clarifying that. Okay, now let's move on to ways to manage cholesterol through diet and lifestyle, manage it more naturally without the use of taking statin medication what are your tips and advice to any listeners that might be experiencing sort of heart heart issues and they want to manage cholesterol with with diet and lifestyle well i guess the first thing to say is that um i don't believe that cholesterol itself should be the target so ultimately the, the things that i would suggest uh might be the might be about the same sort of actions. But I think it Mm -hmm. is important to keep in mind that the goal is not really to lower cholesterol, even though that's what we've all been kind of brainwashed to believe and and focus on. The the cholesterol level actually varies a lot between individual people. So when 
when we say, oh, we have high cholesterol, no, we first of all need to question whether that's true or not, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're told that it should be below five, but, um, you know, that's, that's actually already low. A cholesterol level of five is already low. Um, the, the average for middle-aged people is, is around six, something like that. So a lot of people are being told they have high cholesterol when in fact they've got a perfectly normal average cholesterol level. Um, but if, if cholesterol has, I think the critical thing is, has it increased for the individual person? So if someone has a cholesterol test and then they have another test one year later or two years later, and the number has increased quite a lot, then, then it might be fair to say, of course, that that individual person, for them, their cholesterol level has, has become higher. And of course, if that's the case, that's a sign of some other problem. It's not the problem itself. And one of the most common problems is a low thyroid function. When we have a low thyroid, the cholesterol level increases. So that would, you know, so what, what we should look for is the underlying cause of that. And mm-hmm. Another important factor, we talked about stress earlier, but when we're under stress, our cholesterol levels increase as well, and they increase almost immediately. It's a very rapid response that the body has. And the reason for that is simply cholesterol is used as the raw material for the the stress hormones like cortisol and the other hormones that actually associated with the fight or flight response. So there are a lot of reasons that we can have higher cholesterol, but but just focusing on the cholesterol number itself and trying to lower that is not going to fix those underlying causes. So no, absolutely. So uh, so generally, what I would say is there are some some important nutritional things that we have a lot of data uh, to show that it's beneficial, but. The most simple of these uh, would be being properly hydrated. It sounds too simplistic, but the data clearly shows that people who drink less than eight glasses of water each day have a significantly increased risk for heart disease. So that's the most simple of them. But then vitamin C is important because the uh, collagen that keeps the structural integrity of the inside walls of the arteries, the uh, Collagen is really important for that. And collagen is made from vitamin C. So mm-hmm. vitamin C is important. Coenzyme, co- coenzyme Q10, we talked about before. That, that's a very important nutrient for the heart, of course, and, uh, and for, all, for all energy production within the body. Another very important nutrient is magnesium. So a lot of people take uh, blood, blood pressure-lowering medications called calcium channel blockers. And um, these medications act on the smooth muscle cells, which are found in the wall of the artery. Actually, magnesium does exactly the same thing. It's just, again, you know, uh, it's not so widely known about. So people have prescribed these medications to lower their blood pressure. But as an alternative, they could simply take magnesium instead. Yes. There's, um, There's quite a lot of data to suggest that omega-3, of course, can help. But, uh, yeah, there's an ongoing debate about uh, (laughs) essential fatty acids. Uh, B vitamins can be important. And and probably the most important thing, of course, is uh, to move our bodies to exercise. I I think it's, it's almost impossible to have heart disease if you're exercising regularly 
focusing on those uh, quite simple things. And, and also, of course, well, I hesitate to say stress reduction because it's such a, a difficult topic and it's so easy to say, you know, just manage your stress, but the, the practical yes. reality of that, you know, involves quite a lot, of course. I know an exercise can be one of those stress reduction things that you do and it doesn't have to be go for a high intensity it could be going for a walk or going for a swim or taking a class of some sort so I think you know doing exercise making sure your diet is balanced um, and a lot of those like with your magnesium and your omega-3 you can get these through your diet as well Um, but I suppose if you are deficient you would need to supplement with things like CoQ10 and magnesium yes yeah so any other sort of lifestyle factors that people might need to consider as well? I think those are the ma- those are the nutrients. I focus on those nutrients because we have a lot of data to show that mm-hmm. um, they they can really be I mean I would I would really call them alternatives to taking statin medications because yeah. the the data shows that they can really have a quite a dramatic impact on our risk. Yeah, absolutely. And would you recommend that people go to see like a nutritional therapist or a naturopath to get these prescribed in terms of the dosage? I mean, would the dosages vary per person? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's by far the best way to do it. Yeah, because nutritionally speaking, of course, we we are very individual. I mean, you know, we there's the endless debate about whether we should eat more carbohydrate or more protein or more fat. And the reality is, of course, it, it really depends on the individual person. So it's very advisable to work with a professional who can tailor something based on doing the appropriate assessments of your, your body and any symptoms you have. Absolutely. Now, just quickly, can we just touch on the saturated fats? Because that's also another, I know you did talk about it a little bit before, but that's also sort of a taboo word, isn't it? And people are so afraid to eat any fats in their diet, which can cause a lot more problems in the body. So can you just talk to us briefly about saturated fats and the sure. whole sort of myth around that? Well, this um, this started with uh, Ansel Keys, who's um, quite well known now because um in the 1950s and 1960s, he's a physiologist uh, who did some studies in the United States, and he published this famous study called the Six-Country Six Study. And uh, he plotted this linear relationship between uh, the amount of fat that's eaten in various countries and the amount of heart disease that exists within those countries. So he plotted these six countries to form a straight-line linear correlation but in reality, he had data points available for 22 countries. So he just chose those six data points that fit his hypothesis and uh, published that report. And uh, it became very highly influential. And basically, it was, it was adopted, even though it was a completely flawed study. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's fraud, nothing less than complete fraud the way he published the data. But that was adopted. That was the kind of the the beginning of the misconceptions. And then just, I think it's difficult to, because it seems plausible that uh, saturated fats can clog up the arteries. Just the the word itself, saturated, Mm -hmm. seems to suggest that it's going to be dangerous. But, but of course, saturated fats are more stable within the body and also for cooking with, of course. So they're they're much more... uh, they're much less likely to become toxic through the rearrangement of their molecules. 
Um, and in fact, any of, not, none of the large-scale studies that have been done on saturated fats have shown that it's a risk factor. So the, the data just doesn't show uh, any correlation between the amount of saturated fat that's eaten and, uh, and a, an increased risk for heart disease. And I think there's been a lot of um, misrepresentation of various things, such as um, there's various books being published that have looked at different cultures around the world and uh, tried to suggest that these people in this particular place live to be 100. A lot of people live to be 100 years old because they don't have saturated fat in their diet. I think one of them, uh, one of the more famous ones, I think it was called the Blue Zones. And it's just not true. I mean, some of those countries that they mention actually do have quite a lot of saturated fat in their diet. But for whatever reason, the author has just cherry-picked uh, mm-hmm. items from their diet and said, you know, these people eat a lot of vegetables, you know, they don't eat saturated fat. But they do. One of the obvious ones would be Okinawa in Japan. So people in Okinawa are famous for a lot of people living to be more than 100 years old. And it's been oft- it's often been said that one of the reasons is because they don't eat meat. Well, I went to Okinawa in Japan, and uh, people do eat a lot of meat. Oh, oh, really? They do eat a lot of meat. And uh, in fact, you know, you go to the market and they're selling, for example, pork. You know, they it's one of these cultures where they literally eat everything from the animal. Nothing, nothing goes to waste. Yeah. Um, and there are other examples. I also went to um, a place called Anogia. Uh, on the island of Crete, and um, this this is uh, uh, actually Cambridge University. I think it was did a study here because very few people get heart disease. Uh, the rate of heart disease is incredibly low, and they thought that there was a genetic link, but actually the the genetic link was not very strong. And it turns out that they also have a lot of saturated fat in their diet, particularly from uh, full fat cheeses and uh, and meat. So um, there's actually a lot of cultures around the world that um, do have a lot of saturated fat in their diet, but people have very low rate of heart disease and often live to be more than 100. I'm not, I'm not at all suggesting that uh, places don't exist where they have you know, plant-based, more plant-based food, and they also are very healthy. I know that those places exist as well, but... I, I just mean that you know there are there are different diets around the world, and we can't say that can't just cherry pick those societies that have less meat and say you know everyone should have less meat to live longer and be healthier. Yeah, no, thanks for clarifying that because I think it has got a, saturated fat has got a bad rap over the years. But as you say, a lot of the time these studies are published and things are just cherry picked, or you know the results. Um, are sometimes a little bit skewed, aren't they? So I think the moral of the story is you have to go and do your own research rather than take things at face value. You have to go and explore and look at lots of different data, don't you? That's right. And also, of course, the foods that contain more saturated fat will contain more of the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, Mm -hmm. and K. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, very important point. Fantastic. So what is next for you, Justin? What other projects have you got on the horizon? I'm currently working on a documentary series, which is about stress. Um, I'm doing, I'm working with the American Institute of Stress in America. And um, uh, more than, I think it was about 18 months ago, I went to America and did all of the interviews. And um, so far I have uh, five episodes 
already edited. Uh, there will be at least one more, maybe two more, and uh, then that will be released sometime next year, hopefully January next year. Brilliant. But, uh, yeah. Oh, excellent. So that's all the impact of stress on the body, basically. That's right. And new ways of looking at stress. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. So we'll have to look out for that one. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for today, Justin. It's been very enlightening. And um, yeah, you've uh, provided lots of information there. So I think it'd be very eye-opening for a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much. It was It was great to be here and to pass on some of the information. Yeah, and we'll obviously put some links to uh, Justin's documentaries in the show notes and to his book. So for anyone that wants to go and look at Statin Nation, you can go do that. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Justin for sharing his wisdom with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Justin in the show notes on the CNN website at www.cnmpodcast.com. If you're interested in learning more about nutrition, herbal medicine or naturopathy, check out CNM's range of short courses and diplomas. And we have a series of open events coming up. So you can find all the details on the CNM website at www.naturopathy-uk.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.